value in the Values in the Kingdom series. We hit treasuring God's presence, accessing abundant wholeness, knowing our greatness. Next up is owning a supernatural lifestyle. Owning a supernatural lifestyle. I think this is going to be fun. Um, we're going to get into the charismatic gifts. The, the, what, that's what the Bible calls them, the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, I just ask that you try to kind of stay open as we talk about this stuff. People have packaged the charismatic gifts with some weirdness in the past, but they are all over the New Testament. They are real, they're for us, and they're good. So, so we're going to dive into those deeper together. Before we get to the gifts of the Spirit, really, we first have to look at the, the Holy Spirit itself, himself. And I did a whole sermon series called Invisible Friend in uh, April of last year that you can find on the website. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about it some today, but that's more in depth. Today, let's start in John chapter 7, okay? It says, oh, verse 37, John 7, verse 37. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here, notice, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, that's probably most of us in this room, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so the question has to be, would people describe you as a, a, as a person who just has this river of life flowing out of you? We sing the song, right? I got a river of life flowing out of me. Splish, splash. And it isn't just a goofy song. It's supposed to be true. Like this river of living water, not just like a little trickle, a river of living water. But it says that he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So remember, when Jesus told him, look, it's going to be to your advantage that I go away, right? Imagine that. You walk with Jesus. He's right beside you. You see him do all these miracles. And then he's like, it's better if I leave, if I go away, so that the Holy Spirit can come. He says, unless I go, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. So while Jesus is on the earth, he's like, I can't have the Spirit enter into your heart. I haven't been glorified yet. So unless I go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. So we just take his word at that and say, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily get why that is, but he says it. And he says, when I send the Spirit, he's going to dwell in you. And out of your heart will come these rivers, this, this river of living water. That's amazing. And you know, in Acts 19, when Paul goes to Ephesus, there's kind of a confusing passage. Um, let's look at it. Verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. This isn't talking about like his 12 close disciples. These are folks from Ephesus. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit 
when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Okay, it comes some, there's some weird things about that passage, right? Like, first of all, they were disciples that didn't really know much about Jesus, right? They didn't even know there was Jesus' baptism. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul baptizes them, but it says he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Then after he baptizes them in the name of Jesus, then he lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And he just start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, it didn't always happen like that, right? When you read through the book of Acts, there's some pattern, but it's kind of different every time when the Holy Spirit shows up. So it can leave us kind of confused, I mean, some say, yeah, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, you know, there's a spirit impartation at conversion. Which one's which? You know, there's times where the Holy Spirit falls on someone for a special reason, and sometimes Jesus, was, when he was on this earth, he would send people out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you read in Revelation, it's talking about these seven pillars of fire, and those represent the Spirit of God, like I'm telling you this at the beginning, there's a lot of mystery to this. But here's what I believe we need to understand. First, this is clear. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. So you take Acts 2, it says, repent and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise, it says. You read Romans 8, 9, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you belong to God, the Spirit dwells in you. If the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to God. And so because God is a relational God, he, he doesn't want puppets. He wants genuine people. So we, we have to yield to his lordship. But we couldn't even do that if it were not for the Holy Spirit. That's why it's all about grace. Paul says even your, your faith that's out of yourself, is, it's a gift from God. There's no room for boasting. So, yes, every believer has the Holy Spirit to the, to the degree they're yielded to the Holy Spirit. But here's where I really want to go today. Even though some of this stuff is confusing, you continually find this distinction throughout the New Testament between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you're saved and sealed for redemption and being filled with the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see this distinction. There's a difference. For example, at Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, the disciples believed. They believed that Jesus was Lord. They just witnessed him raised from the dead. but They were not yet filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> so Jesus says, I will send my Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Okay, there, so there's something more. You believe, that's wonderful, but there's something more. There's a filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then 50 days later at Pentecost, it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a new thing. They had the Holy Spirit now. Now they're filled with the Spirit. There's a distinct thing called the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another example, in Acts 6, the apostles are getting, they're getting too busy to run things. <clears throat> they just want to spend more time teaching. And so they, they say this to their followers. 
says, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Okay, so there's an exceptionalism there, right? Not everyone is filled with the Spirit. If that were the case, you couldn't choose seven who are distinctly filled with the Spirit. There's something about these people that there's a power on them, an anointing on them, a wisdom on them that's not common. Another example, in Acts 8, here Philip is preaching to the Samaritans, and it says this, But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, sorry, then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So they are believers. They are obedient, right? They've been baptized. But Philip and others discern there's something still missing. They're they're missing something. They're thinking they didn't have the experience that we had on the day of Pentecost. They're not living outside of their own power. They're still kind of living in their own power. There's not that anointing there. He doesn't specifically say exactly what they sense was missing, but they saw that they are not yet filled with the Spirit. And so they had the apostles come up from Jerusalem and pray with them. And then they were filled with the Spirit. So what is this? What are we, what are we really talking about, being filled with the Spirit? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Paul here is speaking to believers. He's telling them, be filled with the Spirit which means it's not the case that just because you're a believer, you're filled with the Spirit. It's kind of interesting, too, that in Acts 2, when you see the disciples are filled with the Spirit, the crowd accuses them of being drunk, too, right? So they must be acting pretty joyful. And Peter says, one of the best lines in the Bible, he says to them, we can't be drunk, you guys, it's only noon. Which I think is funny. Happy hour's not till three. We're not... And it's also interesting here, and this is important, the tense that Paul speaks in here, it's a tense in the Greek which denotes an ongoing activity. So he's saying, saying, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing activity. It's a command to keep on filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit. It's just like getting drunk. It isn't like once you're drunk, you're drunk for life. Right, And I'm sure there are some of you who wish that were true, but make your life a lot cheaper. You wouldn't have to wake up with hangovers. But it doesn't work like that. If you want to be drunk all the time, you've got to keep on drinking. Here's my message for the day. Have a, <laughs> have a good day. Amen. It takes work to stay drunk. Amen. Let's pray. No. no, the idea is you can't stay drunk unless you keep filling yourself up with more alcohol. Not that I know much about it, but... Bruce tells me that's how it works, so I trust him. (laughs) But the whole idea is, it's not just like one time. If I drink enough, I'll be drunk for the rest of my life. 
And then in the same way, Paul uses that illustration for the Spirit. Keep on filling yourself up with the Spirit. you got to go to the well regularly and drink and cultivate that and fan that flame. Every day, we get to choose whether we're going to live a, an extravagant, Spirit-filled life where the Spirit empowers us and fills us with joy and a passion that we ordinarily wouldn't have, or we can settle for humdrum, ho-hum, middle-of-the-road Christianity if you want. But God's saying, come on, let's set this thing on fire. Let's have an adventure. Now, the minute you start talking about being filled with the Spirit in this way, it leads to some questions, right? Um, Questions like, what is the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit? What's the initial evidence? And what's behind this is that there are, there are groups who teach that if you are indeed filled with the Spirit of God, you will speak in tongues, and that's the first thing that will happen. You'll speak in tongues. And the basis of that teaching is in Acts 2, as we just saw, where the apostles are filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. And in Acts 10, these, these Gentiles are filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. And therefore the conclusion is that everybody who is filled with the Spirit will speak in tongues. So if you haven't spoken in tongues, that means you're not yet filled with the Spirit. Now, here, here's the thing. I really think that speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift. It is. Among the other charismatic gifts that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. It's a great gift. And we're so, supposed to be zealous of the charismatic gifts. Paul says that. And I think it's here today, available. And um, that is how some will certainly respond when they are filled with the Spirit. Sure. But I don't think we should make that the sole criteria to determine whether a person is filled with the Spirit or not. Because what it can do is form a weird dynamic where you have those who have the Holy Spirit because they spoke in tongues, right? And those who haven't and they want it, right? So you have altar calls where people who haven't spoken in tongues come up trying, begging to get the Holy Spirit, which to them means speaking in tongues, which is weird. Why do you have to beg God for a gift? I've never made my daughters beg for a birthday gift before. Happy birthday. No, no no gifts. You've got to beg. It doesn't work like that. God wants to give it to you. You should not have to beg for it. So a few things. The book of Acts is a historical work telling us what happened in the early church. Nowhere does Luke give the teaching or the impression that that's how it's supposed to be throughout history. And even if you're going to take the book of Acts and treat it as like a, uh, a pattern book, for the world history, that that doctrine of tongues is, as initial evidence is still not super well grounded because you got five instances of people being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. Three of those mention tongues. What are the other two? It's an interesting question. Three of them mention prophesying as the initial thing that happened. So why isn't prophesying the initial evidence? It's just not a super consistent doctrine. Now I will say... There seems to be two different types of tongues talked about in the Bible, and I don't have time to cover everything here. Um, they're going to go deeper into this in adult Sunday school. If you have more questions or want to know more about that, that's, that's the place to be, because I just don't have the time. But quickly, two different types of tongues mentioned in the Bible. The first in, in Corinthians 12 is the gift of tongues for the corporate body. So this is a gift where believers speak in a corporate setting, such as a church or small group. And then someone interprets what was spoken. Paul is clear that not all believers have this gift. The second type of tongues is a personal prayer language that edifies those who are praying. This is what Paul is referring to when he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you, which sounds really cocky, but 
There's a difference between the gifts of tongues for a few for the corporate body and the gift of tongues given as a devotional prayer language for the individual who speaks privately to God. I know some who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, got a prayer language right away. I know some who didn't for months or years. Okay, there isn't a formula to it. We can't try to put a formula around it. So I don't think that we can use that as evidence that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. So then what is the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit? Let's go, let's go back to Paul's analogy one last time. Don't be drunk with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. For the same reasons that it's obvious when a person is drunk, it will be obvious when a person is filled with the Spirit. There's a difference about them. And really the evidence is, look at the fruit of their lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if that's the fruit of the Spirit, if someone's full of the Spirit, they will be full of that fruit, period. In Acts 6, that we saw before, when they say, find seven people you know are full of, spirit, uh, full of the Spirit and wisdom, they don't say, check to see if they've spoken in tongues. No, just go out and find these people that everyone acknowledges are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Look for the guys who are on fire for God. They're full of the Spirit. They have love that goes beyond their ordinary capabilities. Look for people who are full of joy and peace beyond what they're ordinarily capable of. People who are sustained by the Spirit on a regular basis. It's an obvious sort of thing. And so what we all need to be doing is saying, God, I want more of your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with Christ-likeness. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your joy and your peace. I want to go all the way with this thing. I don't want a little bit. Give me a full portion. Final thing I'll say is this. How, How do you receive the Spirit? Now, there's a lot of books written on this, and I encourage you to buy none of them. You don't need a book. Uh, Save your money. It's simple. It's not rocket science. You ask, and then you empty yourself. Just remember those two things. You ask, and then you empty yourself. Because you may be taking up space that belongs to the Holy Spirit and clogging that wellspring of life. And you'll have to offer that up to God. Just take that ambition of yours that's caused so much anxiety because you're always striving. Take it out and let God give you a spirit of joy and peace or that bitterness that you're hanging on to. You take it out and let God give you a spirit of love and forgiveness or that self-will you got that causes all that impatience. Take it out and let God give you a spirit of patience, a spirit of peace. Just be honest and offer it up to God. You'll find newness of life. There's one passage where Jesus says this. He says this in Luke 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you? 
So Jesus looks at me and says, Chris, you're evil, but even in your wickedness, if your daughter asks for a piece of bread, you aren't going to give her a snake. I mean, if she asks for an egg, you're, you're not going to be like, no, I'm going to kill you instead. Here's a scorpion. He's like, come on. You as human beings can give good gifts to your kids. What, like, what do you think I am? Like a meaner, lesser, dumber version of you? Now, I was thinking about this passage because it's like we can get so concerned. Like, God, am I asking for the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit right? Am I supposed to be doing something different? Am I going to ask for it wrong? And God goes, really? Do you think that's how I'm going to treat you? Do you think that's the kind of father I am? No, I'm a good dad. I'm a generous father who wants to give my children good gifts. Just come like little children and go, God, I don't know. Our pastor doesn't even really know. It's a mystery. I just know I want more of the Holy Spirit. Like, I know I want more. There are sins in my life that should be dead by now. And they're still there, and I want them gone. I know I've blessed some people here and there, but I'm not sure it's like even a spiritual gift. Like, I want more of that. There's supposed to be a power that comes upon you to be a witness. I want all of that. There's this fruit that's supposed to be in me, this love and joy and peace, patience, kindness. I mean, I know unbelievers who are kinder than me, have more peace and joy than I do. God, I want your spirit. God, we're supposed to do the same things Jesus did. He says you're going to do the same things I did, and even greater works than these. And you look at your life and you're going, God, I'm not, I'm not seeing that yet. And going back to the verse we started with, there's supposed to be this river of living water just coming out of our hearts. It's supposed to be this power. Like everyone should look at us at work and you know, in your in your neighborhood and go, man, what's up with you? Like there should be an obvious difference between someone who is filled with the Spirit and someone who's not. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, there's a river of life coming out of you. There's power. There's the gifts for the rest of us and for the whole body. I just thought, you know, what if we just today, we just came as little children, little kids, and just came before God and said, I want the fullness of your Spirit. I want everything I read about in that book. I want it all. I want that character. I want that power. I want that gifting. I want all of it. And some of you in this room, maybe you're going, I don't... I don't know if I've ever even given my life to Jesus because nothing's changed. I just kind of feel dead. And I want to tell you right now, like he says, it's about repentance. Repent and be baptized in forgiveness for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. It's a promise to us. It's just coming as a kid and saying, can't do it on my own. So I thought we could just have a time where um, Christian and Katie come up here play a song, and the elders and the ministry team can come up here and they can pray for you if you'd like. You don't need to explain anything. Um, but if you're just in faith going, I want this, I want more of this, now's your time. And I think, honestly, we're not supposed to have all the answers. Paul said, I want to be a steward of the mysteries of God. He didn't say, I want to be a know-it-all and have the answers to everything. I'm just trying to steward the mysteries of God. So I think we just go, God, I don't get all of it. I just know where my life is at, and I want more, more of you.
So I'm going to come in faith. The ministry team wants to come on up. We're going to do a song. In the kingdom of God, to the degree that you die, that we die to ourselves, is the degree that which we, which we really live. And the spirit is that life. Amen. Kate and Christian are going to do a song. Come on up if you want more of the Holy Spirit. So as we leave here, can we just do it as people who are committed to getting empty that we may get full, full of ex- the extravagant life of God. Don't settle for normal, vanilla, middle of the road. Play it safe. Ordinary Christianity. Let's go for broke.